0: I guess I can give you a quick disclaimer before I get going. My story, it's not easy to listen to. It's actually kind of hard to look at this picture of of me. I mean, a pretty young, innocent boy. By this time, hockey had kind of stopped working as the medicine that it once was for me. I thought of all the places in the world, hockey players just don't do drugs. I remember standing next to Steven Samkos, I thought I was unworthy and you're living in survival, you just want to feel better now and you don't think about the consequences. To see that I was being paid by an NHL hockey team. That's my name, that's an NHL logo, that's a Tampa Bay Lightning logo. I think It was just like another moment where I felt like a failure. I can't even do this right. I can't even successfully follow through with trying to end my own life. These scars are still pretty prevalent. But it's also a constant reminder of knowing where I was, where I'm at today, and how quickly it could go back to this. As soon as I was willing to stand up and reach my hand out, boy, was I thankful that I had this whole community rally around me. Without hockey and the people in it, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm not here today. We're gonna hit him with the Steven Stamkos behind the back. What a save! you are not alone regardless of what you're going through i promise you you're not alone and some big rights here from leopold brady leopold just loves to fight if something doesn't work out the first time keep fighting just keep fighting
1: what is going on welcome
0: Hockey to hell I'm back, episode number 129. Not going to lie, don't feel my best today. And uh, I think when you do things like this, and, and especially when you share your story and, and people watch you, it's sometimes hard to just be like, hey, you know what? Today's just a bit of an off day. And I want to kind of tip my cap to my friend, Kendra Fisher, friend of the show, Great mental health advocate, former Team Canada women's goalie. And uh, I went and saw her speak, and she opened her, her one show by saying that, saying, you know, listen, today I'm struggling, and, uh, you know, I, do, I struggle with my mental health, and um, there's days when, when it's better and that I manage it better than others, and, and some days I struggle. And, and that's certainly the case for me, and I know it is for so many people um it's been pretty heavy uh, after the the SportsNet uh kind of mini doc was released there's been a lot of uh messages there's always been a lot of messages but there's been even more messages and um yeah just overwhelming support um but it's, it's all just extremely heavy and uh, just trying to kind of wade through it. And I just really appreciate everyone's kind of understanding and compassion and love over the last few years. And certain, certainly uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's been, um, like I said, I, I don't have the other word for it, but overwhelming. I just uh, I feel a ton of love, um, and I, I simply don't have the words. So thank you again to Mike and Zach, who did such a fabulous job. This is the first time we've had a a podcast since it was released, and uh, shortly after. Uh, Mike sent me a text and said hey everybody at Sportsnet thinks it needs to be a a full-length dock so it looks like that's the plan and it's pretty cool because they're going to follow me out to Swift Current in March where I'm going to be going back I mean, I haven't been back there since I pretty much got kicked out of the town for for a cause and a ruckus all those years ago and left uh, you know left a bad impression on a lot of people but I, I think it was just a different time in my life of you know, just in a different place and, and trying to hide what was going on with me. and it it came out in other ways. So it's gonna be emotional, but pretty cool that they're gonna come back. And I know uh, I know I'm excited, but there's uh, been quite a few people that have uh, seen that I'm coming that have messaged me. So thank you, looking forward to getting out there. Uh, I'm gonna talk more uh, when I wrap up the show, but I don't wanna to take too much more of Luke's time. It's his uh, probably one and only night off. He's a busy, busy man these days. Uh, But before we get going, this show, of course, is brought to you by the good, good, good people at True Temper Hockey. Um, Just love those guys over there. They supported me again from almost virtually day one when not too many people were supporting me or even knew what I was doing. And uh, they gave me a they gave me a hand up and. They've been with me ever since, so big shout out to them. Uh, but without further ado, let's uh, let's do it. Let's bring in the man. Why everyone's here, you're not here to to listen to me speak, and I want to give a shout out to the people listening after the fact as well on Apple Podcast, Spotify. Thanks for joining us. But uh, without further ado, let's bring in my buddy, Luke Gazdick. What's going on, bro?
1: <laughs> What's up, man? First and foremost, would you say 129 episodes?
0: yeah but there was like 80 or something before uh it was called hockey to heroin the road to recovery and i i kept having all these hall of famers on and it'd be like a poster with like dougie gilmore or whatever and it'd say hockey to heroin i'm like that doesn't look right we gotta change <laughs> we gotta change the name but yeah yeah sorry man go no, ahead Oh,
1: that's no that's great man honestly i'm um 17 soon to be 18 episodes into my own project and it feels like a long time. So I can't even imagine a uh, hundred plus more of those. So k- yeah, kudos I, to you on that, man. yeah.
0: And and while we're on, well, we're on the topic there, you had me graciously had me down uh, in studio for, for mitts off episode 17 and uh, we had a great chat and it was such a great experience and I'm a fan of the show. So it was cool to, to come down there and connect with you and, you know you've had a couple other of our buddies on there, too. So, I mean, I'm always listening and love what you're doing. And people can find it on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. And it's very well produced and executed. Um, and, of course, on all the podcast platforms. Um, but on Instagram, what is it? At Mitts Off, right? At yeah, Mitzof. I think it's at Mitzoff Pod. At Mitzoff Pod. I'll, I'll yeah. double check. It'll be in the description for everybody if you're looking for it. But, yeah, man, welcome to the show. Kind of, you know, I, I'd love to hear kind of your story on like your journey in hockey early on I'm starting this. I'm starting a U nine program up here in Muskoka and Sam's kind of involved in in it as well. Get and another guy, Luke. Um, and it just bringing me back to sort of that early love for the game. So I'd love to hear where you found your passion for the game, because listen, you're still in it. You're a retired NHL player, but you're still living the life. You're still part of the game. Um, and it seems like you never left. So why don't you give us the rundown of like where that started for you?
1: Yeah, I uh you know what? I'll just start going.
0: You got any questions please, along the way? Keep
1: them in the do. back of your mind.
0: Uh that's the best when someone listen, does man.
1: This. I um uh, I grew up here in Toronto. I have a couple of siblings, um, but I grew up in North York and Toronto, hockey family. Dad played hockey, older brother was playing hockey. Um, I want to say stereotypical Canadian. My dad flooded the backyard uh when we were kids every night. Uh that's where I learned how to skate out on my backyard rink in North York and Uh, I fell in love with it instantly. Um, You know, I was a good player coming up, never, you know, never one of the best, Uh, didn't play AAA until I was, I think, 14 years old and truly like looking back on it now, I feel like I was always a step behind. There was always a class of people that I played against that were always held in higher regard. Uh, I know you're friends with Sammy Gagne. I had to deal with the '89 Marlies hockey team here in Toronto, getting whooped eight nothing every night. Every time we played him, him and Johnny Tavares skating circles around us. But um, you know, I ended up playing uh, a year of junior A here in the OPJHL. I made it as one of the 16-year-olds. Uh, Got drafted to the Erie Otters late. I was a ninth round pick to the Erie Otters. Uh, went in there for camp as a sixteen. Scrapped. Didn't make it. Came back the next year, full of piss and vinegar, telling myself I wanted to play in the O. And um, I, I truly was d- debating whether I, you know, should go to school or 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 go play junior hockey and. I was a good student. I went to an all-boys private Catholic school here in Toronto, St. Mike's. Um, I kind of wanted to wield the NCAA route, but just didn't have a lot of stuff out there at the time. Um, like I said, I was always kind of just middle of the pack, trying to be, trying to be good enough, right? Um, and I ended up getting a shot in Erie, and I, I never looked back, man. I fought everyone and everyone that I could in the OHL when I was 17. That kid right there. Uh, I ended up getting a letter my second year, uh, when I was 18, but, um, I, I didn't fight a lot before I got to the, O. that's, that's kind of where I started fighting. I don't know why, or people ask me this all the time. Like, why'd you start fighting? When did it start? Honestly, man, this is like the dumbest answer that I can think of, but I just thought it was so cool. You know, like I loved watching junior hockey, seeing old like kitchener ranger london knight rivals and i just thought like fighting was cool so i tried it out in my first game we were in windsor did well came back home against london on the saturday night fought some six foot five mutant on my first shift knocked him out fought the same guy in the second period i just kept winning these fights then i started picking up things along the way before i know it i was fighting Every heavy in the OHL, like 17 years old going toe to toe at center ice. And I didn't talk to many teams that year, Brad. I I think I filled out a four page psychological exam for the New York Islanders. I think that was it. And maybe four days before the draft, I got a call from an unknown number, and it was a the, it was a scout for the Dallas Stars, and he said, "Hey, can you meet me for a coffee or lunch or whatever it was here in Toronto?" He was the local scout. This is Tuesday. The draft's on Friday, and we just started talking. And I, I think I maybe had you know eight or nine points, twenty fights, whatever it was, and said they really liked me. And if we have a chance, we're going to try to grab you. But still, didn't think much of it. It uh, ended up getting drafted that Saturday uh to the dallas stars in the sixth round which was a pretty real I, I just got chills thinking of it because i remember yeah. the day um it was a saturday we were by the pool i told my parents not to call me no matter what happened and my buddies called me they were screaming and yelling and it was just a really cool moment for me my fam i i, I truly like i think a lot of players say this but i truly didn't think i was getting drafted anywhere i thought maybe that dallas thing might have just been you know Come to development camp, or we want to bring you as a tryout. But yeah. that uh, that then started the battle, man. That's 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 uh, what kicked it off. I ended up signing with those Dallas Stars when I was nineteen, out um, of junior. I, I met the team in in Boise, Idaho, the uh, East Coast team. They didn't have an American League team at the time, so they sent me to the East Coast for the last couple of games in the playoffs. That's where uh, we met. That's where I found out very, like, I know I should have put this together a long time ago, but we ended up playing Victoria in the playoffs. But yeah, I flew out there, 19-year-old kid, not sure what the hell to do. Now I'm in the East Coast in Boise, played the last two games. I got a Gordial hat-trick in my second game, first and only of my career, actually, in the coast. and that really got the older guys liking me. I didn't say too much right. when I was there, but, uh, yeah, we were, we finished in first place with Boise. I said, this is pretty cool. I might win a championship here. They set a franchise record for wins and then we end up playing Victoria salmon Kings and get bounced in, uh, in four games straight. So yeah, I remember, um, yeah. And I went back home and, you know, I put my focus on going into next year and that's when the pro hockey battle started, man. I, I, was very naive at that age. I thought I, I might play some games, fight some guys, and get called up here or there. And it took four full years. It took four years in the minors, 257 games. I played f- all four years straight in the minors, no call-ups. I truly thought I was done, at least within that organization, but I was getting to be 23 Twenty-three at this time.
0: So funny to think, right? Twenty-three. You think you're I know, you know? You just sport, I, you're looking in your count. You're looking at the clock, being like, "Shit!" Like I'm twenty-three, but anywhere else, that's just a kid, right? It's exactly. Crazy.
1: I look back at it now. I just from like I wish I could tell that kid, just relax, man. Like everything's gonna be all right. Like you, you're still young, but you just you compare yourselves every day to people around you and you standardize yourselves to like everybody else. And all, all these guys, my age were getting called up and my roommates called up. And, um, I went, I, I remember that summer putting in an, an absolute shift in the summer, like in the gym, just making sure I was ready to go. And I, I showed up for training camp in the best shape of my life. Uh, I was going at it for the fourth line job with this kid, uh, Lane McDermott, who they had traded from Boston, a very similar player to me. I thought I had an unreal camp. I played in four exhibition games. Um, We went to uh, Oklahoma City for the final game. And if anyone that's been to an NHL training camp knows, the final game is usually your roster. It's about as close to the roster as as it gets. And I'm fourth line left wing, and I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, We're playing against Edmonton in Oklahoma City. And uh, little did I know Edmonton had their eyes on me and yeah. they had a tough guy at the time that was Steve McIntyre so no i remember you'll you'll love this so the coach walks around before in like in the meeting you know 8 minutes left on the clock and i remember him looking directly in my eyes and saying we know you can fight that mcintyre over there is a different class of fighter you we, you have nothing to do with him i don't even look at him and in my head i took that as a challenge i'm like okay you want to call him a different class than me i'll show you so I went out there. I'm chasing this guy around, shaking my gloves out and making sure everyone in the rink knows that, you know, he's saying no to me. Um, he, you know, comes over to hit me in the second period, bangs up against the wall and he tore his knee and he's out out for the game. So now I can just play. I'm feeling good. I go down there three shifts later on a two on one and I rip a goal far side posting. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling good, man. After the game, we're on the plane back to Dallas. I'm like, it's pretty cool. You know, I'm. I'm going to get to play in the NHL. I made the team and I got the tap. Hey, you know, we're, uh, we're uh, meeting with you tomorrow morning. Coach wants to meet you or GM wants to meet you 10 in the morning. I'm like, whatever, fuck this, you know, sorry. Can I swear on here? Sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And I'm like, this, this sucks, man. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I get, I, I met, they told me I wasn't ready. And, um, yeah, I remember walking out of that office crying and they told me to go down to Austin see if you clear through waivers. Um, you're not ready yet. And I just, you know, didn't love that fast forward 24 hours clock. hits 12, 12 Oh one. I'm down in Dallas. I'm down in Austin and, um, walking through the gym and I grabbed my phone in the dry stalls. My buddy, Dan texts me, said Edmonton with an exclamation mark. and I'm getting chills now thinking of it. And then as I'm reading the text, phone starts ringing seven, eight Oh Edmonton. And I picked up and he said it, he says, is this Luke? I said, yeah. He said, this is Craig McTavish with the Edmonton Oilers. You have him in it? I said, yeah. He said, so I stepped outside and he said, hey, um, have you ever played hockey night in Canada? And I said, uh, no. I laughed because I'm like, shouldn't you know that? But I think he was joking. Uh, he said, well, you're going to play in your, in your first NHL game. You're going to play hockey night in Canada this Tuesday night versus the Winnipeg Jets here at home in our home opener. So next call will be my assistant, Connie. And you're on the first flight out to Alberta. You're now an oiler. And I just remember thinking, like, this is unreal. So I went into the coach's office and, you know, made my call, said bye to the boys, packed up all my shit that I could, ran to the airport. I had a connecting flight in Minnesota, Minneapolis. I'm just telling this story in every detail because it's so good. I
0: love it, man. Keep going. I love um, this shit. Um,
1: yeah, I went Austin to Minneapolis and connecting flight was a tough time like I had maybe had 40 minutes or something. So I'm sprinting across the airport. I'm grabbing, you know, right outside the gate, I'm grabbing a granola bar or whatever. And I just hear Luke. Hey, are you Luke Gazdick? And I'm just like, Oh shit. Like who's yelling my name? So I turn around. It's Mark, Mark Messier standing there and I walk over. I say, I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Luke. He goes, Hey, I'm Mark. Um, We're going to fly to Edmonton together. Uh, we're going to go to that hotel. together. I'm dropping the puck for the first game. So you and me are a pair here uh, until we get to the hotel. So, spent the flight with Mark Messier sat there, uh, shit. Um, I'll never forget. We got to Edmonton and he took my gear and my sticks and he's walking out of the airport, carrying my, carry my bag for me. I'm like, Holy <laughs> shit. Mark Messier is carrying my equipment out. That's Next cool. day we practice. I speak to the media. I'm very overwhelmed. Uh, but I know I want to play and I, I want to play well. And that night, um, that night, I remember walking out to the rink and seeing 17,000 towels at Rex, all ready to go, and soaking it in. And three minutes into the game, Dallas Eakins says, "Willie, your line's going." So it's our Willie really Acton, my center. We get out there, quick icing, maybe eight, nine seconds. Offensive zone draw. I expect to get taken off the ice, um, and he throws. Uh, he, he keeps us out there. We ran a uh, we ran a play off the draw and um, walk around the circle and threw the puck in the net. And it went in. It was my first NHL game, first shift, first shot, first goal. I scored 14 seconds into my first NHL shift.
0: That's well, obviously,
1: pretty elated, man. And uh, got off after and interviewed with Scott Oak. I got the Hockey Night in Canada towel, and he said, you know, you just broke a record. I said, what was that? He said, Mario um, Lemieux had the fastest goal scored by a player may- playing in his debut, 15 seconds. You just scored 14 seconds in your first shift, so... Yeah, that? so i know i just went a long time to preface the story i told you a bit about my backstory but yeah oh, spent, spent three good years uh spent three good years in edmonton there man fought a lot
0: um yeah tell me about that tell me about your early days in edmonton like you're living with halsey and davo and like, <laughs> so, like
1: <laughs> so that didn't happen till uh my third year my first year was a was a gong show i um they basically still- told me they pulled me aside the first uh, day and we're like, Hey, you have 30 days here basically to, to show us what you got. Uh, that's what Dallas Eakin said. Craig McTavish knew a little bit more about me. He, he had told me after that I was on their radar that, um, as soon as Mac went down, they needed a guy, but I, I heard that. And I just thought, man, I have 30 days to prove that I'm not going anywhere. And I fought everybody and anybody I could get my hands on for the first 30 days. Um, and, uh, I just made the most of it, man. I lived at the, the Weston hotel downtown for like three months and uh, was just grinding it out. Edmonton's so fun, man. Uh, I remember getting in the cab for the first time uh, and the guy looked in his rearview mirror. He's like, you're Gazdick. Right. And I, I just remember thinking like, he's like, you're the new tough guy. And I just remember thinking like, this is so, this is sick. Like this is yeah. different than yeah. Austin, Texas uh yeah yeah, and we were traveling we were it's just before christmas it was in december it was maybe a couple weeks before christmas and we were in pittsburgh and i really wanted to play we only went there once it was crosby and uh dallas ekins pulled me aside and said hey you're not going tonight um we just want a different look but when you get back to edmonton make sure you get yourself an apartment because you're going to be with us for the year so i just remember thinking you know i made it it was so cool i got to go home for christmas and celebrate and about two months after that, they signed me to a two-year deal, two-year extension before the the year even ended. So um, some ups and downs in that time, man. I went through three coaches, different um, different looks there, and then
0: that's real. Out. That's really tough in, in a role like in a role like that too, because one coach can really appreciate you, and one can can totally underappreciate you.
1: Especially for depth guys, you really that's have to right. build up your trust. And it takes a lot of plays and games to build up trust as a depth guy. And it doesn't take that much to remove that trust instantly, whether it's like a turnover or a bad game for you to come in and out. The leash is longer, the higher up the lineup you get. But I thought I really built that with Dallas. And then he got fired. We brought in, you know, Todd Nelson, but Craig McTavish came for a couple of weeks. It was like this weird situation. I really thought Nelly liked me. I bought, I built up, a good relationship with Nelly and then they fired him and brought in Todd McClellan and me and Todd just, for whatever reason, you know, I look back and think now as a little more mature, I think there's probably some things I could have done different, but we, he just didn't see eye to eye from day one. And and that's what I remember the most is uh, he, for whatever reason just did not love me. And uh, I, I tried everything to change that. Um, but for that's, whatever reason, I just oh I wasn't one of his guys, you know? So um, hard,
0: right? To show up to work every day and 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 to be trying and and people don't understand, like, and I mean I, I don't fully even understand because I haven't been there, but that is that's hard. Like that's extremely difficult. And yeah, people can argue and be like, Yeah, but you're in the NHL, but it, it has a tendency to to really take a toll on just just on your mental. L- well-being as a as a person as a player you feel like maybe you don't you start questioning your value maybe and, and it's just it can be really hard so was there anything that like helped you get through those times or or oh well, man
1: there's also uh, like
0: i look back hold on guys like i look back you didn't play triple a till you're 14 by the way shout out shout out st mike's that place is unreal i've only been there once and i all of a sudden was just in the neighborhood and my girlfriend was like, Oh, St. Mike's is there because I told her like how cool this place was. And I always wanted to visit it because I'm from out West. Right. And all of a sudden I'm in the neighborhood and it's like, I can see it. I'm like, I got out of the car and I ran in there. Right. So see all the pictures on the wall and stuff. So what a cool place. Very cool that you got to play there. But what about the grind in the AHL? And like that couldn't have been easy. We kind of skipped over that part where it's like you were grinding it out in the minors thinking it might, it might not happen. Like, the age yeah. especially back then it it was a- oh, it
1: was a dog fight man I, I try to explain it to people um also too, that st mike school they have a under 14 team that's pretty high class as well i got cut from the hockey team in grade seven i got cut in grade eight uh i was an extra in grade nine then i got cut again in grade 10 so i went Four, four years there, never played it. I barely played on the hockey team. I ended up being the only kid from my graduating class that ended up playing in the NHL.
0: Incredible. Um,
1: but, man, the, the AHL was such a dogfight. I fought 27 times in my first 48 games or something like that. Oh. Uh, I fought three times a night, twice. I did it versus Abbotsford. I did it versus Manitoba. What versus, do you think like, about that rule? I mean, fighting three times in one game, or how yeah. it is now?
0: Well, what is it now?
1: Oh, I think it's. I was thinking maybe junior. I don't know if the American leagues changed too much. I, I mean, I didn't. I, I don't mind that three times in one, one game rule. I was done after three, buddy. I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, but I just remember like. Yeah. I remember like my first time going to San Antonio, and I don't know if these names ring true to anybody, to you or to anyone listening. But their fourth line was Francis Lassard. Oh my! He was God. the Biggest mutant I've ever played against. Ever. Like full roll of clear tape on both shin pads, yeah, ankles showing, jersey pulled up to his elbow pads, 260 cuts. Like looked like an NFL linebacker with a helmet that was too high, too tight for his head. And he was looking for blood every shift he was on the ice. Like, was looking for hits from behind, was looking for fights, and threw less. And strictly lefts. That was their fourth line right winger. The fourth line center was Ryan Holweg, who was a tough. Oh,
0: oh yeah, Western boy.
1: Uh, and then they had Troy Bodie, who like was a big, big guy who liked to mix it up as well. Like I'm ni- I'm sorry. I'm 20 years old or whatever at the time. 20, 20, then 21, and like I'm looking over at these guys. I'm scared shitless. We go into <laughs> Rockford. I'll remember going into Rockford. Their fourth line was Brandon Bolig, who was. Oh, yeah. Both hands. Uh, I just, I always had a hard time with them. Uh, Dar- what was the centerman's name? Dow, da- Dal- uh, their friggin' captain. I forget his name, but he was a Jake something. Gosh, this is going to kill me. Jake something. And then Wade Brookbank, who all he wanted to do was fight on their right side. I lined up the first time playing Rockford, and Brookbank looked over at me and said, All three of us want a piece of you. So you're going as soon as the puck drops, but you tell us, you pick one, two, three. And I just remember being like, I'll, I'll take Bullock, puck drops Bullock. And like that was an every night, that was an every night, every game thing where it was like, you are not leaving here without some blood drawn.
0: Like, uh, and we can I sit here and laugh about it now, but tell me about what that experience is like living it.
1: It's just, it was the scariest thing of my life, man. Um, I think I was always better after those fights were over and the games were over, but. I was such a young kid. Now that I look back on, I was just a kid, man. And, um, yeah, I fought in junior, but when you get to pro hockey and these guys grab onto you, these are men. Like (laughs) I never got hit like that. I never, even just someone grabbing onto me. I, people ask me all the time, like, who's the toughest guy you ever fought? Like, was it McGratton? Was it Luch? I tell them I fought this guy like four times in the minors. His name is Eric Nielsen. He was Eric. He was Sidney Crosby's tough guy in, in the queue. I'm not kidding you man, I've never been hit so hard with lefts and rights and just the just even grabbing me. And I just remember you know, I can say it now cuz I don't I don't really care I guess like I was so scared every night I was so scared. And you know what I always kept thinking of too, braid was like I remember taking a leak before a game and knowing that I had like four guys on the other team that I might have to deal with yeah. and the thought flashed into my head like what if you make the NHL? If you make the NHL, then it's going to be Colt Nor and McGratton and Sean Thornton. So I just remember thinking like this doesn't get any easier, but just grind through it. Like this will be worth it. I want to answer your question that you asked earlier about the NHL, because it was kind of the same in the AHL. A really hard problem I had for that was I didn't really have any anybody to lean on. Like I mm-hmm. didn't see a ther- like any, I didn't do any therapy at the time. I didn't. I barely even talked to my roommate who is my age about like, man, like I am so nervous for this weekend because honestly, back then like being scared or intimidated was like seen as, I felt like it was seen as weak. I wanted to portray this like, I wanted to portray this big tough guy with this like cement exterior that nothing could hurt and i always had a straight i always had a straight face or a smile i i never i told myself i'd never look scared around my teammates uh all, we had like the most veteran team ever we made the calder cup final our first year it was me and another 20 year old and everyone else was late 20s early 30s late 30s and uh i just remember like yeah being really intimidated a lot of the time but not wanting to show that weakness and like i also remember like really missing home too Like I remember really feeling far away from home. I was in Austin, Texas, like outside Austin. I was 30 miles outside Austin. Um, I just felt so far away from home, from my friends and my family. And that's...
0: lonely all of a sudden because now guys got wives and kids and the boys aren't all hanging out all the time.
1: It's the first thing I remember getting to Boise and after you know, the third day I remember pulling on my phone and asking the one guy on the team that I knew, I'm like, Hey, like, what do you guys do in the afternoons? Like, do you guys hang out? And he's like, bro, it's just, it's your time. You can do whatever you want. But I was just so used to like always being around teammates or being at your billets with your roommates. And you just go from that instantly to like being by yourself and, you know, FaceTimes and Skypes weren't really as big back then. And even, you know, I don't want to say we didn't call home. Yeah, we called home, but like, I just felt very far removed from everything. And now, now that I can take a step back, like I said, I, I'm kind of viewing this later now and, and seeing this from a different perspective. Like I hel- held in a lot of these issues, man, like year after year in the minors, not only the fights, but like the discouragement of not getting called up. And like, what what do I have to do here? Year one, year two, year three, and then the brass would come down and they'd be like, "Great game, you're you're doing everything we want." And I'd be like, "Shit, man! Like, you like, what else do you want me to do here? Like, I had, I got this many goals, and I'm fighting everyone, and just trying to be a team guy, and that really wore on me, man. And I think I didn't get a lot of that shit addressed. That was trauma, and I didn't get a lot of that trauma addressed until. Until I was, you know, late, later in my 20s for sure. Yeah. Uh, On top of that, too, man, coaches weren't a resource like at all. Coaches played mind games with you. They, (sighs) they like to mess with your head.
0: Uh, they used to understand that, right? Like it, it was so common. Like, why do they think that that is the best way that can really mess someone up, man? I just
1: I don't I look back on some of the things that were that were done and said to me by play, by coaches and management and just remember thinking that if I ever did get into coaching I wouldn't I would not be running it the same way these guys did. I remember I don't even and you know what saying some of the issues even out loud doesn't even sound that bad. I they, they used to they used to dress me all the time, dress me, but not tell me I wasn't playing. So they'd have me on like the third or fourth line left wing. But then after warmups, they'd be like, Hey, you're not going So you spend all the days before leading up preparation, preparation, game day, preparation, getting ready for the game, getting ready for the fight. And then after warmups, Hey, hit the bike. Just like little mind game shit that just really, really messed with your mind. Cause It just it was the way things kind of were. I think I was a young kid. I didn't really put up too much pushback. I didn't really ever fight back.
0: So how dare um, I push back, right? Exactly. And you know what?
1: That was something I just that was something I held with me, is I never really did push back. Looking back at it, I probably should have asked a little more, asked some questions or asked why. But you told you you led into that about getting to Edmonton and playing for a coach like Todd. I was going through some of the worst mental health of my life at that point. Um, You asked me if I had any, you know, any things that I was, um, you know, not just leaning on, but any, any strategies outside the rink. Yeah. I was coping by frigging boozing and like hanging out with the wrong people outside the rink. I was not treating myself very well, but when you come into the rink, I'll never forget one morning walking in with Todd McClellan. I hadn't played in, I don't know two weeks didn't even know the guy knew i existed and i was walking down a hall unmistakable with him now like in the room you can kind of avoid each other practice you can kind of avoid each other but we couldn't avoid each other now and i remember walking by just being like morning coach and he just walked straight past me so no hello no hi not even like i was a human being that's no
0: shit man and i
1: just remember thinking like i remember stopping dead in my tracks in the hallway and chuckling i just remember laughing just being like like, are you you kidding me? Like, I already feel so bad about myself. I don't know what I should be doing here. I'm working my tail off every single day. Um, and you, I mean, you can't even do the decency of, you know, saying hi to one of your players in the morning. It was just stuff like that really, really pissed me off.
0: Um, Yeah. That's a big deal, man. That's like basic human kindness, right? It's just like
1: treating someone with respect. It's like, I don't even really need the respect to play every night. It's okay. I can, I can be a healthy scratch. I'm a big boy. I can handle it, but maybe let me know why or like, you know, tell, just give me something every now and then like, Hey, stay with it. Three words, stay with it. But when I walk by you in the morning at the rink and you can't even say hi to one of your you know, one of your guys, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, man. So safe to say things didn't work out there in Edmondson. Um, same guy, Todd, About you know, let's, let's say two weeks before I actually did get sent down. I pulled him aside in San Jose and finally said, what do I need to do here? Uh, and he said, you're not going anywhere. You're one of our glue guys. And, you know, under a week later, Shirely was sending me to, uh, to Bakersfield. So, Went down to Baco and then a bit back up. I came back up. We had 16 games left. Uh, They said it was a showcase for everyone to play in the organization to see what they had. And I played one game in those 16. uh, I played a minute and 43 seconds in 16 games. So safe to say, like, I could see the writing on the wall at Edmonton. But um, yeah, that was it for my time in E-Town. But I will say that that year did afford me one of the greatest experiences of my life, which you you, uh, brought on was... Uh, I got to live with an 18 year old Connor McDavid and Taylor Hall, who I lived with the year before. Taylor had this beautiful house in the West end of Edmonton. I lived in a condo my first year and Jordan Jordan Everly moved out of his house. And so he said, Hey, I don't want to live in this big house all alone. Come live with me. <laughs> so I was like, heck yes. He's like. You know, I don't know saying this. He's like, you don't, you don't have to pay rent, nothing. Just come in. Just make sure the house is clean. Be a good house guest. I'm like sick. This is awesome. Yeah. So, got to know Halsey really well. And then in the summer, we drafted Connor first overall. And the deal was like they wanted him to live with like a family with kids, like a like an Andrew Ference, Matt Hendricks, someone that was older, had a couple kids, family. Halsey ended up skating with him in the summer, and he was like, I don't want to do that, man. Like i can i come live with you guys and all these like sure like i doubt i doubt is gonna say yes but like he calls me he's like you want him to move in like it's gonna be a lot but like i think it's pretty cool and i'm like heck yes man let's do it so we got the go and he moved in (laughs) boys boys both had the upstairs i had the whole basement i was just chilling down there and he broke his collarbone early in the season so i got to spend a lot of my free time I was healthy scratch that year. I mean, I only played 30 games. So I was healthy scratch a lot. He was injured a lot early. And I got to spend a lot of time with him, man. And I look back on that time and it's some of the best memories of my life, man. I look at the career he's put together now and especially Nobody his best player in the world.
0: Man, you know what I asked those guys in the summertime? Like I because he hasn't skated with us, but uh, you know, like Halsey's there and Sam and Bo and like these are good hockey players, right? And I asked them and I'm like, how good is Connor? They're like, we have to tell him to stop ruining hockey for everybody else. That's what that's how <laughs> that's how good he is. Like, how cool is it that you got to hang out with him in his rookie year? Unfortunate that he got hurt, but I mean, yeah, in the end it didn't it didn't matter, did it? <laughs> so I'll
1: tell you two two brief stories too. Yeah, but please to, do. to preface them, to preface them, like being on the ice with him every day was special. I think people see like the moves he pulls off in games and, you know, you see him on the highlight tape or you watch an Euler game and you're like, wow, this kid's sick. He does that every day. Like, and he pushes, even as an 18 year old kid, he pushed the pace in practice every day. He worked his bag off. Um, But like you said, like <laughs> the guy saying, yeah, he's ruining hockey for us. I'd ask him, we call up kids from like Oklahoma or it was Bakersfield down at the time. And I'd see him like pull back a bit and i'd get in the truck with him after and he'd be i'd be like hey you weren't going full tilter he's like no i had to pull back to like 70 or 80 like didn't want to make him feel too bad like because these kids fresh out of bakersfield seventh deed connor's gonna dice him up the first practice but so this kid what he breaks his collarbone right Mm -hmm. and the first game back was versus columbus for him and that was that goal where he wheels it up in the neutral zone, deeks through three guys, splits the D, triple dekes the goalie. One of the nicest goals I've ever seen in real life. It, it, I'm not kidding you. In real time, you could see it developing, and it was the nastiest goal I've ever witnessed. So we drive home, and I had this thing after every game where I, in the basement I'd throw in the Norma Tex, you know, a couple cold ones, and just – digest just kind of decompress and um it was late i think it was the midnight you know sports central that was coming on and it was like goal of the year you know whatever um you know coming up and i just see him poke his head down and he's like hey do you mind can i come down and hang out i'm like yeah man come on down so he comes down and then he sees that he's going to be on so i like pause it i'm like kid like great like walk me through this and so he's like what do you mean my, my, my thought process?" And I'm like, yeah. So he like broke down the goal from his perspective. Like he's like, okay, I kind of got over the blue line. I saw I had one guy on my back. I have one guy on my right. And then I start approaching the the one on two. And I noticed that like I faked left and I saw his heel or edge or go this way. And so I knew I had him back the other way. And I just was sitting there. I was like, this is, he thinks it different. Like he thinks it different than anybody that I had ever talked to or met before. And I was like, what about the goalie? And he's like, oh, that's the easy part. I just like, I have this triple deke. And I was just like, dude, if I cross the red and I see a one on two, I'm giving the old oh, pitchfork, high flip. I just remember thinking like he just – he thinks the game different, man. And he was very raw at the time. I think he didn't really he, – he didn't really know how popular he was or was going to be. Like we'd stop at red lights and the people beside us would be taking pictures. But – I know I'm rambling on about him, but it was a very humbling experience for me, man. I know it only got to be that one year, um, but it was very cool getting to play and getting to live with him.
0: No kidding, man. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, something you hold on to forever. And I'm sure I'm sure there's moments like that of him popping down and hanging out with you that it probably helped him quite a bit too, man, as that young kid and just having, having you guys around. Like, I don't know. I, I got to think that it was a – pretty a pretty good thing for him too i can only imagine i mean he was what 18
1: <laughs> yeah and you know what at the time man i just tried to be a helping hand uh, i um i joke about it but like i wanted to make sure the fridge was full and i'd ask him every night what he wanted for dinner cuz after a while we he didn't love going out for dinner and we'd go to a nice restaurant in town and it's just a it was just a gong show every time right um so i'd ask him what he wanted for dinner every night and cook dinners have the boys over and play vids, watch football on Sundays. And yeah, it was just cool, man. I tried to be a helping hand and, um, and I tried to be the best uh friend and vet I could for him.
0: That's so cool, man. That's great. After your, after your time in, uh, in Edmonton, tell us, uh, tell us about that, that part in your life. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I don't know how much time you got, but whatever I, you want I'm in for this man. Cause I love your stories and I'm sure people do too. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know,
1: no, man, I, I, uh, I got lots of time. So I got, um, I got notification or they told me in year end meetings, we're not going to resign you. So I was going to go to free agency. And that was a, that was a very, um, that, that was a tough summer too. I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I wasn't sure what the market was going to be for a guy like me. Um, but then the Taylor hall trade happened and Taylor got traded to New Jersey for Adam Larson. Um, and I remember talking to Taylor soon after that, and, um, he put in a good word for me with Ray Shero and on day one of free agency at 1201, the devil's called and said, Hey, let's get this thing done. We want you. And you know, we, we got Taylor here. We want you here as well. So it took a couple hours, all of a couple hours. And yeah, it was a devil. And uh, that was very cool too. It was uh, a team I didn't know a ton about. I didn't watch a lot of devil's hockey growing up. Didn't know much about that. Got there and it was super cool. But you know what, man? Yeah, things work out. Just things kick you in the balls sometimes. I I put in a really, sorry, I'm tapping this thing because I'm nervous.
0: That's okay. I, uh, I put in a
1: really good summer of training and went in there, I got the, Tap for the first exhibition game, jumped out there for my first shift, went out and blocked a one-timer and shattered the inside of my foot on a one-timer. So I broke the inside of my foot in two places. Uh, The one thing was just shattered. And I just remember being devastated, like getting hurt in training camp. There's nothing worse for anyone that wants to make a team or like make their mark. You really start behind the eight ball. So I missed the first eight weeks of camp, went immediately down to Albany, New York, which I don't know if anyone, you watching, listening has ever been to Albany, but that's a tough town, man. That's a tough place to play. Um, I don't have too many fond memories of, of Albany. Love the fans and stuff, all 500 of them, but um, <laughs> it, was, it was a tough place to get sent down, man. I was living out of the back of my truck at a bar at the back of my truck with all my suits and clothes hanging up. And then all like, you know, shirts and stuff in hockey bags, one on the front seat, two in the back go in there anytime I needed clothes. And then it was up and down between Jersey, I think four times. So I never had a place to live. I was, it was either hotel in Albany or hotel in Jersey. And it was, I, I always try not to complain. Cause I understand you're getting called up to the NHL and this and that, but it was just a really tough year, man. No doubt. Yeah, I just felt like I could never get my footing. Looking back, I started developing some bad habits there. Um, you know, not, not being great away from the rink. Um, but all in all, the experience was cool playing for the doubles. Uh, I've, I have a lot of regrets of looking back at my stat line for that. It's 11 games with zero, 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 zero. Uh, I wish I could have scored or something, but truly man, like the NHL is hard. It's really hard. Like <laughs> getting four or five minutes a night on the fourth line in the NHL and like expect it to score. It's really hard. I try, I try to explain this to people. Like it is so hard to score in the NHL. It, it's, it's like, it's very tough, especially from the East. And I played in the West, moved to the Eastern conference and it was like a different ball game, man. This was straight lines. This was track meet. This was, everything was to speed. And I just, I could never catch up. So didn't work out in Jersey. Ended up signing the next year in Calgary, but spent the whole year in Stockton. So it was pretty much in the minors oh, from there, but Stockton these are three, to two town tough towns man. in a row, man. Stockton was the toughest place I've cool. played in. Albany was tough. Stockton. Still the only thing better about Stockton was the year, you year in California, the weather was a little nicer, but there was a lot of crime, dangerous place, a lot of travel. It was, uh, that was a year, man, that really, really put, put a couple years on me. And to end my career, I, I remember sitting around that summer after the Albany and after the Stockton years, and I was convinced I was done. I only had a couple points in Stockton too. I only scored like one goal. I, I thought I was done and it went the whole summer. And I remember having a list, calling GMs and trying to get, trying to get places and either people weren't answering the phone or sorry, we're good. And about a week into camp you know, sometimes you just need a helping hand. And I called my old coach Dallas Eakins back in Edmonton to tie this whole story together and said, Dally, I need, I need a shot. And he said, uh, where are you? And I said, Toronto, he said, are you in shape? I said, yes, I was kind of in shape. He (laughs) said, give me the night. Um, I'm meeting with the brass. Um, I'll give you a call tomorrow. And he gave me a call tomorrow and said, I got you a PTO here in Anaheim. That's all I can do though. That's I had to put my neck out to give this to you. So I flew down to Anaheim, ended up getting a contract with San Diego and I spent my next two years there. Uh, And that's how I ended my career in one of the most beautiful spots I've ever played hockey. Some of the best guys I ever played with. Um, Dallas was the coach of San Diego at the time. So it was really cool reuniting with him for that first year. Uh, That was my 10th year of professional hockey. I lived... 30 feet from the beach, um, basically on the beach, um, hundred meters from the ocean. Um, it was just a very cool place to play great fans sold out barns. Um, it was a very cool way to end my career. Um, no the, the last year it actually ended kind of shitty with pandemic. We got sent home for pandemic in March. So that's when it really ended, but, uh, nothing but good things to say about my, my time in San Diego too.
0: Yeah. Was it, you, you were happy loving the game. You You know what? My first year I was,
1: my first year in San Diego, I really was. I was having the time of my life. We had one of the, I'm sure you can attest to like, there's just certain groups you play hockey with that. I don't know. It's like, you're, you all just feel like brothers. Everyone gets along. There's no clicks. Everyone hangs out together. Uh, you're all in it for one purpose. Everyone sees that direction and that purpose. And like, that was our first year San Diego team. Um, just a very very cool experience the next year we got dallas left he went up to anaheim we got an old school coach coming in that i thought i was gonna oh man that i thought i was really gonna vibe with and same thing from day one i just you know i wasn't in i wasn't in his picture uh kevin denean tough coach to play for um that year i i truly i started spiraling man off the ice i was a shell by the end of that year i was a shell by the end of march i'll say and it's funny like i had another healthy scratch with me Corey Tropp, who is one of the most beautiful humans i've ever met and we both said the same thing to each other like do you want to just go home uh it had been 56 games and i had played six of them and i i he wanted to go back to michigan and i called my mom or texted my mom and said i thought i, I I was thinking about coming home because I just, I wanted it done with, I wanted it over. I was such a mess off the ice. I was such a disaster that I just, I wanted to be anywhere but there. And that was my only exit plan was running away from the situation. Mm. And then we got news in Tucson that this virus had taken over the U S and three days later we're getting sent home for pandemic. So I kind of saw it as a, I kind of saw it as a a blessing and I'm like, this is great. You know, I'll get some time off, but we didn't know anything then. Little did I know that would be the last professional hockey that I played. And man, you throw a guy like me who was starting to develop some really bad habits and was spiraling off the ice. You throw in him into a lockdown pandemic situation with nothing but time on his hands. Hockey season officially canceled. I got word of that a couple of weeks later, about a month later. Hockey season canceled. Um, very unsure of my future. Um, I, I was I was in a bad spot, man. And I, uh, you know, I started to I started to really started to really get get away from who I was. And so I, I look back at the end of my hockey career, and yes, I'm I'm you know I'm happy with with the spot I ended in in San Diego. Um, I, I just, I, it took me a while, man. I felt such disdain towards the game after it for so mm. long. I hated hockey. I really did. I didn't watch any of it. I bear, you know, I didn't, you know, I haven't really talked too much about this, but I, I didn't watch any bubble hot, any of the bubble COVID hockey. Like I, I still, by that time I was just, I didn't like the way I exited the game. Mm. I just, I felt it very disrespected my last year. Uh, he did the same thing too. There was one time late in the year where, where Kevin Kevin Dino, our coach, you know, he did the same thing. He made me come to the rink, suit on, everything, but didn't tell me that I wasn't playing that day. So, you know, everyone gets in there and I walk in the dressing room and all the eyes look at me like, oh my God, he doesn't know. And I just like shit like that was just so, I just felt so disrespected. Um, You know, and I was was really experiencing some, some bad mental health stuff here too. Um, you know, I'd started seeing someone in maybe, you know, 2017 is when I really had, I had a really bad breakdown in 2017. So I started seeing people, but this is something I learned now. And I'm still learning it to be honest, is that I thought once you went to therapy or got a therapist that, that, that cured the stuff. And that going <laughs> to therapy would cure your issues. Not only does it not cure your issues, but it's about finding the right, Therapists, too, and the right people to talk to. Like looking back, that first person, that woman that I talked to, super nice, but she just wasn't the right person for me at the time. So I just thought making those steps, calling and asking for help, calling the league or whoever it was, hey, I need a help in hand. I thought that just would cure everything. But it took me multiple therapists and it took me a conscious decision to stop with some of the habits that i was doing away from the ice and make some serious serious life changes in in 2022 um that things really started to change for me um and things really started to turn for the better and um i had a lot of you know undiagnosed stuff and issues that i I truly man i'm still working through today um got a long way to go but yeah it's just
0: like i I don't want to cut you off but i just want to say thanks for sharing that that's that vulnerability right there is is what allows you know it helps people and you know we don't ever need to get into details and that to me is like the details for for trauma the details for um for for people's struggles it, it to me are not the most important thing it's it's all it's allowing someone the safe space to, like you just talk about it you have somebody that you trust right and um i think that's the message that i take away and also i have a very similar experience where i i've tried to talk to many people in the past and and yeah maybe they're nice and they have their best interests at heart but it just didn't work and i know for me it got exhausting like i, I even if it was the first time i do i'd almost want to give up so, uh, you know, and I know there's other people like that too. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Like it's, um, it, it's powerful. It's very, very powerful.
1: No, oh, uh, I appreciate you, man. It's, um, it's you making it a safe space. And, um, I, I, truly like, I think when you're in that position, a lot of the time, especially when I was at the time I was still playing you have a hard time seeing a lot of the the world around you and the people around you. I I thought I was truly the only one going through those experiences. You know, you think you're so alone in that battle, in that fight. And now since I've stopped playing and getting very involved with the NHL alumni and the Edmonton Oilers alumni, you start talking to a lot of people that had similar issues and you start talking to them and you're like, man, you're, you're you're speaking my language, like yeah. damn, like somebody gets it, you know. Like how many times have I sat in an office on a couch and kicked my feet up, and tried to explain to, you know, an older woman therapist about how fighting in hockey works and stuff like that, and you know where the source of some of this trauma comes from or whatever the issue might be. Yeah. It's just it's helped me a lot talking to other players and, you know, guys. I've went through a lot, man. I think I try to be. I don't know. I don't want to relate this to my analyst game, but <laughs> I try to be very fair to players when I'm critiquing them and stuff on TV. Cause I, I think that people let that slip by sometimes is that the guys, even these guys on TV that are making millions of dollars, their lives are so complex. They have the same issues as you and me. Um, they have hardships. They have struggles. They might be going through the worst time of their lives right now. Um, and everyone's just, you know, dogging on them and yelling uh, yelling at them or whatever it is so i I try to tell people to keep that in mind like these guys are human beings um all all these players are like i said their lives are so complex and it took me till retirement to really really realize that and figure that out
0: yeah well i'm really proud of you for, for for taking that step and it's not easy and i know um the process and the continual process you talked about that it doesn't just go away and and there's things that we have to continually stay on top of and, and and things may come up when when we think we have them beat i know that's certainly been the case for me over the it'll be coming up to four years now that i've you know been living this, this kind of new life and again it's it's been unconventional for anyone that's been listening or watching this show from day one know that my my recovery has not been one that's been been you know conventional i think recovery for anybody can is it i think we should all kind of be in a, a state of recovery but to me it's like improving your life making your life better and that that that's sort of the way that I view it. Versus trying to be so stringent on what other people think may be good for me. I've been able to really understand, um, you know, what what's good for me, and and I'm trying to I'm trying to do a better job taking action. Like I know what's good for me. It's it's the taking action part that's hard because sometimes looking at those issues and taking a look at our life can can again. I said it at the beginning of the show, overwhelming, and uh, it's easier to sometimes deflect to old habits or or coping mechanisms that, that maybe aren't healthy, and, and it's about finding new ones and and always trying to just I, I don't know for me re like yeah. not re- reinvent, but just again continually get better, man. And you've been able to do that, and I love your take on on Sportsnet. You're doing a fantastic job. I know you mentioned to me, you and I talk uh, off off air. Um, a bit too and and looks like you're going to be doing quite a bit more of it too so congrats on that man you're doing a, a great job and to your point like i, I love your take on, on breaking down the game and i love your um that you have some some empathy and m- compassion and understanding um and, and helping people realize that because it's i think it it's genuinely lost on most people that these are humans these aren't superheroes i, I trust me i thought they were too i you know I, when i was a kid but you hear stories like yours and so many other guys have come on this show and shared similar journeys. Um, and uh, we realized that, you know, nobody, nobody is, is, uh, you know, free from, free from this. It, it can affect anybody. And uh, I, I love your take, man. I could see. Yeah, there about it all day. I know. And I,
1: I think one thing that you said that's, that was very true and rang true for me and is very important is that, you know everybody's recovery from whether it's their mental health or their their addiction like it it looks different from everybody else right it just because some stuff worked for you it might not work for another player it's kind of trial and error and that's kind of a shitty thing about it but the first step is just recognizing that you want to be better and um and uh that's definitely that's definitely what what i did and um Man, I I just, uh, I love talking to other guys and uh, getting vulnerable is. uh it's starting to feel better to be honest. So yeah. um, it,
0: it is uncomfortable though, sometimes eh? where it's just, but after, like you said, after you feel so much, you feel so much better. It's almost like leading up, leading up to the, the fight that you're going to have. And after the game you feel better because it's over with, it's like being able to deal with it, even though we're not going to cure it and fix it right away just by talking about it, but allowing it to come out is, is, is extremely, extremely healing. I I gotta ask you, I gotta ask you. So you took some time off the game. You, you, you know, had a, a tough exit out of the game. It seems like you're in a much better place now. Um, you were also Dave, the hammer Schultz in the Biore Solomon. You were, you got a larger part than I did in that, but that's where you and I first kind of met. I mean, we played against each other for a game or two or four or whatever it was in the ECHL, but, hadn't talked and i came in hot in the dressing room and i didn't even know you were in there of course i knew who you were but i didn't know you were in there and that's sort of like where we got connected but man did you ever look like dave the hammer schultz they had you done up right for that and i think a lot of people have seen it if you haven't check it out it's they did a great job you've seen it yet or no
1: yeah yeah i've seen it
0: yeah Uh, yeah that was good stuff
1: man i had a buddy ask me you know, they're taking extras for this movie. You have to go and try out in Brampton, but I can get your name on there. And I just remember thinking, yeah, like, let's do it. Drove out there. And I'll, I i told you that when you came to do my pod was, I was just sitting there very quiet. And you were just like, now I know you. It's funny. I, I just, I, you were so open, like in, in like, I just couldn't, I could never, I I don't want to make you feel, like feel any way. It's just like, I loved it. You were just like very open. Someone asked you a question and you were, you were just being very open about yourself and what you've been through. And I was like, this guy's awesome. <laughs> um, and I, so I started ripping around and they, they tapped me after and were are like, Hey, like, uh, we are looking for a Dave, Dave, the hammer Schultz and you like, you look, you look just like him. Like you're, <laughs> You got this huge beard hair down here. All you'd have to do is like shave, like some handlebars or whatever. Uh, do you want to have a bigger role in the movie? Like, do you want to be a, have a stunt? And I'm like, yeah, like we got to do this. So it was so fun, man. I ended up doing like two or three more uh, walkthroughs and I tell people this story with the stunt coordinator. Um, I ended up basically coordinating the thing by the by It was all said and done. Cause he was like, Hey, so if you throw over here, like where would he come back after that? I'm like, Oh, like you push off here and he's like, you just do it. You do it. I'm like, It was great, man. And then getting dolled up that morning out in Brampton. uh, Well, mine was in Brampton. uh, Hair and makeup and then the old Flyers gear and the skate. I think that was the hardest part, man. I don't know how you felt, but those old skates, standing up trying to skate on those old skates was a nightmare. My ankles were barking (laughs) for weeks after that. But it was so cool, man. Uh, It was just cool being on a movie set. And uh, I threw it on Crave the other day. And I've, I've watched the scene a couple times. And it's funny. It's like the actual you know, 10 second, like teaser trailer on TV during the games. Like, it's just me. You could just see my flow <laughs> flying around with the big flyers. You're just chucking a huge right hand.
0: It's so uh, awesome. They did such it's a it's funny.
1: We sit there at, at sports net. We have this green room with like 12 TVs, something like that, 10 TVs. And uh, so we're watching all the games, but when we're in there with the analysts or the host, every time it comes on, everyone just points and they're just like, Schultzy, And like, you just see me chucking moms. And so everyone knows now. And, uh, yeah, it's cool, man. I uh, I'd love to get into mo- some more of that stuff. To be honest, it was uh, it was a cool yeah. experience.
0: Yeah, amen to that. I I I feel you on that one. Um, <laughs> it was it was so much fun. It was it's just cool to see it all come together. They really did a great job. I thought of meshing um scenes like yours with real life. I thought they did a real good job using like real clips with obviously newly filmed footage. I don't yeah. know. I just you, you're there, but you know it's going to be on a TV or whatever, but just never really know what to expect i didn't know at first it was like oh maybe it's pretty low budget this isn't like but then you see it and you're like holy shit they actually they actually did it they did this up like they did this great warner brothers i know
1: i remember well i was just at the rink in brampton and you just i mean i'm in tv production now so i kind of see how it works but yeah you would just never think that like i mean when we were fighting it was like like the punches were like, you know, a foot from the face. I think he told us to do like 10 inches and we're like really selling it. And then yeah. like you see the thing and you're like, oh man, they, they did a good job here.
0: Yeah, they nailed yeah. it. Um, So I'll let you go here in a few minutes, but tell me like where where's your – love for the game of hockey now because obviously it's giving you a life after hockey as an analyst on sports net you get to chop it up with some other awesome people on the biggest and and best sports network in canada one that we both grew up watching and and you know literally hanging on a you know thread by everything that these guys say and tell us to do so you've now played you've conquered your dream whether your career ended or went the way you ever hoped at the end of the day, you played in the NHL, you scored in the NHL, you fought in the NHL. Nobody can ever take that from you, man. You lived the dream. It was hard and there was dark days, but you did it. And, uh, and now you're still, you know, living essentially to me, what I see is a pretty cool job, dream job, yeah. chopping up the best game in the world. So tell me about your love for hockey and kind of what it means to you now. in in, in respect to maybe where you were just a few short years ago,
1: for sure, honestly, I was, uh, I was in a bad place and I was up in my cottage. I was living there and I got a call from now I know it was the VP of hockey for Sportsnet, but I remember it said Sportsnet. And I just remember him asking if I wanted to come back down to Toronto and do a couple Oilers game intermissions with Gene Principe, their host out of the studio in Toronto, and thinking I didn't. I didn't really love that idea. I didn't know if I wanted to get into media, but I wasn't doing anything else. So just like I have in my life, I said yes to that opportunity, which is something I've done for years. It's like, try not to shut anything down. Say yes to everything. Two games led to four games, led to three months, led to uh, hockey central. Uh, and now, you know, I was on five nights a week, the last two weeks doing, um, monday and wednesday night hockey i was i did the leaf game last week leafs jets national with uh jamal mayers and elliot friedman and it's been like a year and a half since i started that and truly truly like i told you i had a disdain for the game when i left it and this has really helped reignite my love for it i love watching games and breaking down plays and analyzing and seeing something happen and explain it to my producer or to, to whoever I'm working with and then getting to go on TV and educate fans and viewers about it and tell them stories from my playing career and experiences. And, um, it's just been really cool, man. I, uh, I felt like I wanted to talk a little more too. So that's why I started the pod. I missed a lot of the conversations with my teammates so I have that on the side. I'll you know do one of those one of those a week, um, something like that. They're a little more spread out now. I have a lot of Sportsnet obligations, but yeah, man, I went from not wanting to turn on the TV and watch hockey to having it on, watching two three games every night uh, minimum, um, and really enjoying what I do. Uh, the live TV thing was a bit of a hurdle to to get over. Live TV is no joke, man, and being in, you know, a major
0: how was the, the anxiety when you first started doing it? And where is it at today? Is there anything that helps you settle in? Because oh. even when I do something like this, I get a little bit nervous. Like at the beginning of today was probably the nervous I've been for a show, but I've been like, I have some stuff going on in my personal life and it's been just been feeling a little bit off. So that's it. But like, once I settle in, I'm fine. But is there anything that has helped you or you similar where it's like, you still get a little bit nervous, but as soon as you get in the chair, you're like dialed.
1: Yeah, I would say it's that the first couple times I went, man, I was flipping out. Like I remember not knowing where to look and like just being very nervous, choppy speech. Um Jean Principe, the host I worked with was like unreal for me and walking me through through everything, but truly it was just reps, man. I got more and more comfortable every time I went on there. Uh, And then I started, you know, getting more open about my career and telling stories and stuff. And it's gotten to the point now where as soon as the red light goes on, I I barely even remember that there's cameras there. Like I, I think I I explained it to my sister like this. Like, I know there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, some nights that watch, but my sister's like, you know, I saw you on there and people are telling me they're watching you. Like, I don't think anyone watches. Like, that's kind of my mindset is like, I, I, I'm I, not like appreciating that behind that camera is like a live audience of like multiple hundred thousand people. I think it just shows that I'm not comfortable in that role now that as soon as I sit in the chair, do the tie up, mic check, you know, I, I will say that I work my ass off at the job in being prepared and not just prepared for the actual hockey part, but the actual production part, knowing when I'm supposed to speak, knowing what I'm talking about, knowing where to look and all that stuff. Um, I I make sure that I'm like as prepared as possible so that nothing surprises me. And uh, I've just, I've, I've found my comfort zone, man. As soon as I get in that chair, like I feel very, I feel very comfortable and, the end of the day man i'm just you're you're just watching hockey and you're talking hockey and uh it's it's been a blessing for me man it's uh it saved me in one way than in uh one one way than another um and it's it's really helped me especially for the love of the game side
0: the game that the game that just keeps on giving right like when (laughs) when you're doing the right things and uh and you're a good per like genuinely a good person uh you know hockey hockey take takes care of its own. And, and, uh, it's a testament again, I'll echo that on the work that you put in both to get to where you got to as a hockey player, but also where you're at today in your personal life. Also, uh, your life as an analyst, I've seen the progression over the last year and a half and and you've just continually gotten better. And I'll remind you again, I, I try to let you know every now and again, how great of a job you're doing, but yeah, it's great, man. We love hearing your stories and, uh, they're, they, they're really doing a good job on SportsNet with who they have on and um it just makes it enjoyable to be honest with you on most nights I'd rather listen to you guys chop it up than listen than watch the the, the game right like <laughs> I appreciate that man it's it, the truth it's um it, it just yeah it makes it enjoyable and it's it's really nice to know that you're in a good place and um yeah hockey's a, a beautiful game is as dark as it can be, and and as challenging as it can be, there's always so much more light than dark if that's what you focus on. And and just again, yeah, it's it's a testament to to you, man. And uh, I'm just really proud of you, and um, honored to call you a friend. And um, yeah, excited to to just continually watch you grow on Sportsnet and all the other cool opportunities that. You're probably not even aware of yet that are in your future that I have no doubt will happen for you. So I just really appreciate your time. I hope, man, we can do this again and uh, hopefully connect in the near future at some point. And you know, if there's anything I can ever uh, do for you, you let me know. And I want to still want to get you. I want to send you some puck support hats and stuff like that. I got to so you can give it to your uh, your producers and stuff like that because I told them I was going to do that. So
1: yeah, I, sure. I, I love that, man. I love yeah. rocking some. I appreciate you, brother. Anytime. I uh, love right, coming man. on.
0: Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Check out Mitts off. You can catch uh, Luke, what, many nights. when, when is Monday, your Tuesday,
1: night Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday.
0: Wow. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday on Sportsnet. That's Luke Gazdick, former NHL or analyst on Sportsnet. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate your time, buddy. And yeah, uh, and before you go, and again, thank you. Like Proud of you. And I uh, really appreciate you sharing here today. It's going to help people.
1: Anytime, brother.
0: All right, buddy. We'll chat soon. Take care. All right, guys. That's my buddy, Luke Gazdick. Awesome human being. Him and I have become uh, friends over the last little while and uh, just have a ton of love for that guy in my heart. Um, oh, I see some comments coming, and I was so into the conversation. I missed the comments. I'm sorry. I'll make sure I get get to those. Some really exciting news. I've shared it on my social media platforms and earlier in the show. We're starting a clever Super League U9 team here in Muskoka. And I know, I think a lot of people are like, really? U9, Brady? Isn't that pretty young? And yeah, I mean, it is young, but development in Muskoka can speak for and i've heard a lot of other surrounding areas is sorely lacking and just the way that they have sort of minor hockey set up these days has been seen by many people as kind of hold holding players back if anything not helping them and so we've decided myself sam gagne luke akin have kind of come together to create the muskoka north stars um our plan is to start with one team a u9 team uh, that will travel and play tournaments with, and really just the goal is to to help these kids get on their way that they want to pursue the the dream of playing AAA hockey and go on the path. And it, again, it's not for everybody, but there are kids that that want to pursue that, and we just want to help guide them and get them ready. So though it's not sanctioned by Hockey Canada, these kids will. The following year after being in our program, be right back in the Hockey Canada OMHA system. um, And now they will be eligible to play AAA um, because they're old enough. At that age, there is no AAA. We're finding that the kids that want to, when they get there currently, um, they're just behind. And we want to try to grow hockey in Muskoka and uh, not just on the ice, but off the ice. Try to create good young men and uh, hopefully long-term build a program, potentially a hockey academy, more teams, and it's uh, an an extension of Muskoka Hockey. So it's very, very exciting. Um, That's something that I'm really proud of is to be part of Muskoka Hockey. We're looking forward to another great summer ahead. If you're looking for a summer camp Whether you are a young, aspiring hockey player, boy or girl, we have something for you. If you are an elite 14 to 18-year-old, we have a program for you that I'm going to be running. I'm super excited about. We did it last year and uh, had a ton of success, had some of the best kids in the province for their age join us. And it looks like we're going to have even more this summer. Uh, It's an application process that we are going to be screening. I'm a part of. um, So if you're looking for elite training, you're coming to Muskoka, check out MuskokaHockey.ca. I believe we're having the elite women and girls week as well. Um, And um, private lessons are available. And of course, we're doing the pro stuff and pro camps. And I'm going to have the opportunity to work alongside, to me, who is one of the best uh, out there, Adam Nicholas, who works for the Montreal Canadians, to me is one of the best hockey coaches in the world, certainly that I've met. He just is he taught me more in a week than I learned, I think, in 30 years. And I'm just, I, I don't have any other words, but just so grateful that I get to learn from him again this summer. It's, it's really a great privilege. Um, can't say it enough. Follow them on uh, Instagram as well, at Muskoka Hockey, MuskokaHockey.ca. Check it out. Anyways, I want to say maybe a few more things before we, we kind of wrap up. I just, again, want to say thank you to everyone for their support over the last four years over the last few weeks during what has been a really heavy time for me i likely haven't done a great job expressing um kind of where i'm at and i i know that i need to to definitely make some changes in my life and the good thing is is that they're not super drastic changes but in a sense they are but they're not it's not like where I was four years ago. I'm not battling a, a drug addiction and severe um, mental illness. Um, I'm in a much better place. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, life has this, this way of the ebbs and flows of life. And when you have underlying mental illness, it it's hard to know what to expect. And I'm not a big proponent myself, at least this time around, of of pharmaceuticals to to help me i think if they work for you that's fantastic i encourage that i support that but for me i don't like what they do to me i don't like how they make me feel Um, and it's just you know constantly i think trying to figure out better methods to to manage it and that's something that i need to do and i i say that because i'm I'm going to go ahead and guess that people either watching or listening to this. Most people will listen to this after on, on podcast platforms. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, life is tough for a lot of people right now. Life is tough for a lot of people right now. There's a lot of people hurting. It's a lot of people have shit going on that you know nothing about because Most people will will not talk about it. And I'm guilty of that too. So. What's up? Kevin Rain in the house in the chat. I see Michelle Miner. Tom Miner. The Miner family. Lindsay Harper Ainsley. Jack. Jack. Zach. Love you guys. Haley too. So I think we'll be back again next Monday. I'm going to try to do a better job staying on top of the podcast. I really do enjoy doing this show and and getting to know people's stories and and sharing people's stories and hopefully it's, it's helping people. That's what this podcast has always been about. It's been about helping people, even if it's just one person. If we could set the goal that every episode helped one person, man, pretty big task but i think we can do it i think i think that's something that this podcast has been is it's been helpful i get messages all the time and that's a testament to the people like you know like kevin peterson who came on here the very first guest almost four years ago you know and shared his story and now here i am four years later 200 and something shows later and the stories that have been told on this podcast have been very inspiring i know they've helped me so thank you to everybody who's been a guest thank you to everybody who's watched i do have some extremely sad news that i feel i need to share on this show It breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart to have to say this. And I don't think it's really fully hit me. But I have to tell people that we have now lost the second guest. I've lost two guests to overdose. The first one was my good, good friend, Kevin Kerbison, who we tried to help. In all honesty, I'm not sure that one's registered either. But recently, another friend of mine, Spencer Meyer, who was a guest early on, but we deleted his episode. We actually recorded two. He wanted to delete the first one I did. Then we did another one. And then he asked me about a year and a half, two years later to take it down. He had fallen on some hard times. And um, I respected his wishes and and deleted the podcast. And, you know, he was living across the country. And this is a kid that I trained when he was a young up-and-coming hockey player in the Western Hockey League. Played for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, the Prince Albert Raiders, and uh, about three weeks ago, sadly, he passed away of an overdose. And um, just want to send my love to to Spencer's family um, and and friends. I know this is a very very difficult time. If anybody out there is struggling. You know if you're listening to this and, and you're struggling with addiction especially i want you to know that you are worth it and that you can beat it i think i've said this before on this podcast but i remember going into the rooms of na and aa but na in particular early on and i spent years in the rooms of na and aa and going to meetings and saying all the right things and doing all that. And there was a lot that I learned from those times in my life, but they're not a part of my life today. But something that always stuck with me was my first NA meeting. They have a saying that says, "You know, jails, institutions, and death. That's where addiction takes you. And you know, the first time I heard that, I think I was 21 years old, so like 15 years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, that's nice. Jail, eh? Nah, I'll never go there. Death, nah. I felt invincible, and at the time, to be honest with you, you know, thought that would be my escape from the pain, anyways. And then institutions, I was like, yeah, I'd been to rehab once, but that's gonna—I'll only have to go once—and because I was in rehab at the time when I heard that for the first time, and I didn't want to listen. Right. But man, is that ever the truth? Jails, institutions and death. You know, the grip of addiction is something that you can't understand until you've lived it. For me, at least it felt like the devil had a hold of me and I was just along for the ride. I've said that in different ways before over the years. But but like somewhere deep inside of us, like we have the choice. But there's so much pain and so much fear, so much guilt and so much shame and all of it all meshed together tied to that, that the, the climb out seems so, again, overwhelming, almost impossible. But the choice is ultimately yours if you're struggling if you want a better life the choice is yours and again you're worth it i need to eat my words a little bit and take some of my own advice as well and again i'm gonna come on here because i haven't done a good enough job through this podcast of being i've always sort of been vulnerable here and and shared but i think early on i was really open about what was going on in my life and um you know my my personal life it's been it's been really hard there's been some stuff going on i'm not going to share it here tonight but like just because we see people you know we think they're finding success or we think they're happy or The reality is, is most people, especially now more than ever, are struggling. And the fact is this, most people are not gonna tell you how they're really doing. No amount of asking or crying, which is not recommended. So I just leave you with this, just be kind, just be kind to people preach kindness in your homes at your workplace at your schools in your dressing rooms where just be kind lead with kindness cuz when you lead with kindness you you know you you make people feel good you lift them up and over time you might just build their trust and one day they might just come up to you And one day you might just be the one to help them. Alternatively, sometimes just saying hi and being nice to someone when you walk past them could honestly be life changing. Most people just want to be seen and heard and accepted and loved. And I think that's something we take for granted. We just assume people have that, that people feel those things. Just lead with kindness. Thank you again to Luke Gazdick. Check out Puck Support. PuckSupport.com. For the next little while, next, I don't know, 50 orders, let's say, you're going to get a true water bottle. Compliments of the people, the good people. I like to say that, the good people, because they're great. The great people at True Temper Hockey. Uh, so Check us out. Use the promo code hope. It's going to save you 15%. We have orders going out all the time. Shout out Susan Cook, who's upstairs. Who's really been taking care of that without her again. I don't know where I'd be, but I know that there wouldn't be too many orders going out the door. That's for damn sure. So Susan, thank you for all your love support and for running things when, when things have been busy and hard and all the things. So we love you. Anyways, that's it. Well, We'll see you next Monday. If you can leave a review, if you're on Spotify, leave a review. Thank you to everyone who commented. Share it with your friends. Tell people about it. We don't have a budget for marketing here. Love you all. Lead with kindness. Until next time, have a great day, if you so choose.
1: was my life rookie of the year swift as a the bronco they stuff in my gear past the pain when insane yearning for that buzz 12 year journey through the depths of hell criminal fentanyl a struggle that fell abused confused as the shadow of who I once was can't stop Rest this week. Going all night and I of the of feet. If you get my life, here back on track. I used to toe-jack I'm like Wayne Gretzky. And now I'm toe-tending homeless on Hastings. In a Venus, drugs weren't in the gang notes. Wrong kind of how to ride the I in. Sideboard ignored hot and fried. Hockey to hell and back with my recovery road. Can't
0: sleep. A hat. This, is, this was given to me by Brady Lebo, who started this group called Puck Support. And I'll tell you what—it's a great organization. Brady sent me this. Uh,
1: That's bit, awesome. This, I've been on Brady's uh, show.
0: Brady—he's uh, a kid that played uh, major junior hockey. Was with the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning for a short time. Had had uh, some major drug challenges in his young career, and he's taken this upon himself to help families who have who have had challenges and lost lost young players because of mental health. This hat I have on has a logo on the inside of it with Todd Hewitt's name on it. Todd played for me in St. Louis, and he had, you know, obviously we lost Todd a number of years ago. this T-shirt has, oh, my God, Bob Probert's name on the inside of it. And that's what they do with all the things. So, look, if you can check it out.